Greetings and welcome back to Book of the Year, the weekly podcast in which we continue our study of the chapters of Avraham's life. My name is Yitzchak Shalom, And again, we're hoping soon to be able to bring this shiur back into our beautiful shul in Young Israel Century City. But in the meantime, we will continue in this format. We have uh, completed over a long series of shiurim. Uh, our study of the Akedah, and in the last shiur, we took a look at the birth announcement of Rivka and its implications for um, for understanding the nature of geneal- genealogical tables in the Torah and uh, who was mentioned there. And now we're going to take a broad look in a single shiur at uh, chapter 23, which is commonly known as for its uh, opening piece, which is the death of Sarah, but really is focused around Avraham's purchase of Machpelah, of the uh, field, which includes the cave where he's going to bury Sarah. And the reason this is so critical is because, of course, Avraham was promised land by Hashem. He was promised uh, that this would be his land. And yet, through all of the years that he's been here, he has not acquired one piece of land at all. And therein lies, perhaps, a, uh, an understanding of some of the dialogue that takes place in this chapter and something about the purchase. Well, let's take a look at it. Now, by the way, Sarah, as we are going to hear here, uh, it dies and is buried. The question is, is every person in Tanakh who lives or is even a central character, when they die, do we hear about their death? Do we hear about their funeral? The answer is no. Uh, we never hear about Rivka dying. We never hear about Leah dying. We don't hear about Bilhan Zilpah dying. We don't hear about any of the other brothers except for Yosef dying. Uh, we do hear about Avraham. We hear about Yishmael. We hear about Yitzchak. We don't hear about Esav dying or how, long, how old he was. And uh, we do hear about Yaakov. So the central characters... The patriarchal characters are there. And uh, then instead of asking the question, why aren't Leah and Rivka mentioned in detail, uh, since the overwhelming amount of biblical characters who we see even as protagonists, um, aren't, we have no report about their death. In some cases, we're told as an aside how long they lived, uh, but even that uh, rarely. Uh, and we have very few people about whom we hear details of their funeral. Uh, so we have to ask the opposite question, not why is Leah ignored or omitted, but rather why is the story of Sarah included in such detail? And the answer seems to be that it's not really about Sarah, it's really about Machpelah. Now think about the other famous death of a woman in Breshit that is mentioned and gets highlights, and that is Rachel. And there it is uh, because, first of all, she's buried on the road. It is because there's a monument built there. It's because of the birth of Binyamin on that spot. And because her death and burial on the road later comes up when Yaakov is making Yosef swear that he'll bury him back in Hebron, it becomes part of that dialogue, something that we'll look at at some future shiur. Uh, and so what, why is it important to mention the details of Sarah's death is really because of the purchase of Machpelah, which is the central piece. And if you take a look at the handout, you'll see that the first two psukim and the last two psukim of these 20 psukim are about Sarah, her death, and her burial. In the first two psukim, as we'll see in a moment, uh, we're told about her death, and then at the end, we're told about successfully burying her in Machpelah, which Avraham now owns. The middle 16 psukim 
don't really mention Sarah at all, except as the vehicle for what really is happening, which is the negotiations for land. So the first two psukim, Vayu chaye Sarah, Miyashana, Vesrim Shana, Vashava Shanim, Shnei chaye Sarah. All right, very, very beautiful presentation. She lives for 100 years and 20 years and 7 years. Each one is laid out separately. Beautiful Midrashim about that. Shnei chaye Sarah. Those are the years of Sarah's life. Vatamot Sarah, Bikriyatar Bahi Chevron. And one side thing that's important to mention here is that in nearly every occasion where either Kiryat Arba or Hebron is mentioned in Tanakh, both things are mentioned, Kiryat Arba, Hi, Hebron. In a moment, we'll talk about why the double name and what that tells us and what those names mean. Be'eretz Canaan, so she dies in Kiryat Arba, Hi, Hebron, Be'eretz Canaan. It seems to underscore the fact that we are still in the land that Avram was promised, and he still has nowhere to bury her because he doesn't own any land. Uh, important to note that, uh, as we mentioned numerous times, that Biblical Hebrew is not the same as Rabbinic Hebrew, is not the same as Medieval Hebrew, is not the same as Modern Hebrew. And the word lispod, or hespade, in Rabbinic and Modern Hebrew means to eulogize, but lispod in Tanakh means to mourn, what we would call lihit abel. Uh, we see that from Kohelet Gimel, eight lifkot veit lispod, a time to laugh and a time to mourn. Avraham comes in order to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Okay, now where is he coming from? So there are midrashim that he was at the Akedah. We spoke about this in the last year that he was at the Akedah, and therefore after the Akedah he went back to Beersheba and he was in Beersheba, and then he got a report that Sarah died and he came there. However, the Ramban says vayavod just means nit orer, which means he he bestirred himself to come and to weep for her, but he was in Hebron with her, and that's the direction. That we'll take in this and the next couple of shiurim. Uh, okay, and now what happens? Avram gets up from being in the presence of his dead one. They don't mention it as a wife, just his dead one that he's responsible to bury. And he speaks to B'nai Chait. B'nai Chait are the people of the town. The nation of the Chitim are the people who inhabit the town. And he speaks to B'nai Chait. Now watch what he says. I am a ger and a toshav amongst you. A ger is a stranger. He's an outsider. He doesn't belong. A toshav is a resident. The two terms really are, create an oxymoron, a ger and a toshav. A contradiction in terms. What he seems to be saying is that although I am a toshav and I live here, I reside here, remember in our shiur about where the Avot live, Hebron was one of the two cities that Avram actually settled in, Nonetheless, he's still a ger. He's an outsider. We'll talk about that a little bit more down the line. Uh, so I am a ger toshav with you. And then he says, Tunuli achuzat kever imachem. So what he asked for is, please give, and you'll notice that I highlighted it in red seven times. That's the key word, latet, to give. He says, please give me, or give me, a holding for a uh, burial place, for a grave. Really, it's a catacomb with you. With you, and I will bury my dead from before me. Now, what is what is happening here? He's saying, look, I live here, but I don't own any land. And as such, I don't have anywhere to bury Sarah. I can pitch a tent somewhere. I can rent land from somebody for that or be the, ho- the guest of Mamre. But I don't have anywhere that I can bury her, which is perpetual. So I'm asking you to grant me a land deed for some area that I can bury her. And he's not asking it necessarily for free. But he's asking them to sell him a 
uh, a piece of land. And why doesn't he own land? Because he's a Gary, he's an outsider. And as we know from lots of documentation, throughout the Middle East, the general approach was only someone who's part of the local tribe may own land. Outsiders sometimes have rights. They can rent a house, as we see in Shoftim Yotet. They can visit, but they can't be landowners unless they're part of the actual tribe. And therein will lie some of the solution of what's going on here. Now, in the meantime, um, uh, that's his request. And so he gathers the town council and he speaks to them and watch how they respond. They respond and as you'll see on the last page of the handout, this entire piece is made up of a dialogue between Avraham, town council, Avraham and Ephron, Avraham and Ephron, Avraham. It's, uh, the whole, this whole middle section of the, of the chapter is dialogue back and forth. And what do they say? Shma'enu Adoni, hear us, my master. That's what they call him. Nesi Elohim you are a raised up man of God, a prince of God, a godly man among us, which means we recognize that even though you are a Toshav, you live among us, you are separate, but not separate in the sense of being an outsider, separate in the sense of being a holy man, which means we esteem you. Bury your dead in your choice. You pick the grave and you bury your dead there. None of us would stop you from burying, because we would all consider it to be an honor for you to have your wife buried in our grave. Now, we have to remember what graves look like. Up until uh, through uh, the Second Temple period, people were buried in caves. Even after the Second Temple period and the Tanaitic period, people still bury in caves, go to Beit Sharim and see where Rabbi Yudan Asi and his family is buried in caves. Um, and what happened to the bones, etc. That's something that evolved over time. They're buried in caves, and a family owned a catacomb, a series of caves, and when somebody in the family died, their body was, the body of the person was laid in that cave, and eventually when they ran out of space in the cave, the bodies that had already decomposed, the bones of those bodies were put into a pile, and an empty space was made for the next person in the family to be buried. And so that would mean that Sarah would now be buried in the, somebody else's catacomb and ultimately would spend eternity in the hands of foreigners, as it were. So that's what Avram is being offered, which means essentially Avram is getting what he asked for, sort of. So what does, but so before going on, I want to make a comment about this in Si Elohim and go back to Pasuk Bet, in which Kiryat Arbahi Hebron, and I mentioned that Throughout Tanakh, whenever Hebron is mentioned, it's always mentioned as Kiryat Abahi Hebron, almost always. <clears throat> Kiryat Abahi Hebron means that in the time that the Torah was written by Moshe Rabbeinu, the town was known as Hebron, but the town at the time of the story was Kiryat Abah. And so therefore, Moshe writes Kiryat Abah, which we know as Hebron. So why was it called Kiryat Abah? So there's actually a quite explicit pasuk in Yehoshua that uh, tells us about Kirat Arba, which is Hu Adam Magadol Ma'anakim. In other words, Arba was a man, the name of a guy who was evidently a giant, a very important person, and the town was named for him. And evidently he was the father or somehow related to some of the other giants that we hear about, perhaps the giants that we hear about or the ancestors of the giants that we hear about in the story of the Meraglim. And that's Kirat Abba. So how, why did it get changed to become Hebron? 
As an interesting thing is that the Arabic name of the town is not Habrun, which we would expect, but rather Al-Khalil, or fully Al-Khalil Al-Rahman, which means the friend of God. And evidently, or at least according to both Midrashim and Arabic folktales, Al-Havdil, um, Hebron was named for Avraham because Avraham ends up buried here. And Avraham is the Haver. Avraham is, by the way, the only person in Tanakh that God calls the one who loves me, Avraham Ohavi, my friend. And Al-Khalil Arachman means the friend of God, and that's a reference to Avraham. And so, Kiryat Abahi Hebron, in other words, Avraham is such an esteemed person in, in the city, Kiryat Abah, that ultimately the name, by the time we come back to the, to the land, by the time we leave Egypt, it is now known as Hebron. And you see that here, that you are Nisi Elohim Atabatokhenu, you're an esteemed man. When you would think that at that point everything would be fine, Avraham would say, Great, you esteem me, you're going to give me a place to bury Sarah, great, I've done my job. Interesting, it doesn't play out that way. So Avram gets up and he bows, he prostrates himself before. Now, Am Haaretz is another example of a term that changes its meaning. In Tanakh, Am Haaretz means landed gentry, the heads of the town. Am Haaretz, by the time you get to the Mishnah, refers to somebody who's lax in some areas of practice. By the time you get to the modern era, Am Haaretz just means an ignoramus. So it certainly has shifted its meaning uh, in a downward spiral, if you will. But he prostrates himself before the town council. And you would think at this point, you would say, great, thank you. Um, I'd like that grave. And please contact that family. He seems to do that here when he says, which seems to mean if you really want this, meaning if you're really agreeable to this, please introduce me, bring forward this fellow named Efron ben Sochar, which means Avram has had his eye on a particular field and has done a little check with the land's registration and knows that the field he's looking for is owned by a particular Efron ben Sochar. V'yitenli, and again, He should give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the edge of his field. So all I'm asking for is a cave, a catacomb, which is in the field called Machpelah, and it's at the edge of the field. Now he clarifies it. I want him to give it to me for full price. I'm not asking for a gift or a discount. I want him to give it to me for full price, among you as an achuzat kever. In other words, you think that I'm asking for a place to bury Sarah. I'm not. I'm looking for a family catacomb. And therefore, I want to purchase, so nobody can ever challenge my right or my descendants' right to be buried there, to purchase a place for full money, and that's the cave that I want. Do we posit that at this point that Meara was not yet used as a kever? Seems like it. It seems like nobody else has a claim on burying people there, and he's not asking Ephron to, to, uh, to reinter his, uh, his family members. And so now we see that Yitnu, Avraham's request, which so far we've heard from Avraham three times, <clears throat> is, um, is, uh, is not asking for a gift, but rather for the opportunity to buy. And now we find out that Ephron is one of the people who lives there. And Ephron, therefore, because he's a landowner, is part of this meeting, is part of the Am Haaretz. So Avram responds in front of everybody who's there. And it's a scene that reminds us of the scene of Boaz and the Goel. 
who did it at the gate of the city in front of everybody to both create public awareness of who owned what and also to create a sense of social pressure on the party that he was speaking to to behave appropriately. Imagine this. Avraham comes and they publicly say, Elohim we love you, we love you, we love you, we're so sorry for your loss. And then he sits down privately with Ephron and Ephron could say, oh, okay, fine, but I'm not interested. But since he has him, he speaks to him publicly in front of everybody who has just praised Avraham and committed that they'll give Avraham anything he wants, Ephron is really not in a position to turn him down. Although Ephron may have been willing in any case to grant him the land. And so... This is what he says. Lo adunishmaeni. This is now um, Ephron speaking. He says, "No, you hear me. Hasaden natatilach. I've already given you the field. Meaning, I'm going to give you the field as a gift. I've given you the cave in it also." I'm giving it to you in front of everybody. It means, don't be worried that I'm going to come and claim that you stole it from me or get your, your wife's bones out of there. But I'm doing it publicly. Everybody will know it's a gift and it's irre- irrevocable. It's fine. So Ephron seems to be, as we would say in Hebrew, large, being very beneficent here. Avraham then bows down again before the town council. And it seems like that should be the end of the story because he made a request, a general request. The general request was given. Then he made a specific request to a specific land. That was given by the owner. Seems fine. But now he speaks to Ephron, but in front of everybody, again, the social component. <clears throat> Please listen to me. You want me to listen to you and take it as a gift? You listen to me. You tell me that you're going to give me the land. I'm telling you I'm going to give you money for it. And take it from me. And then I'll bury my dead, which means I'm not going to bury my dead until I've paid for this land and it's mine. What is going on here? Why does Avram insist on paying? I mean, he wants to be on the up and up, but it was just granted to him. So let's see how it plays out. Vayan Ephron et Avraham lemorlo. So Ephron answers Avraham as follows. Adunishma eni. Again, my master, hear me. Eretz arba miot shekel kesef mahi. This land that's worth 400 shekel. That's a monstrous amount. I have to see what that's about. What is it? Between you and me. We're men of the world. What do we need this for? And he sounds like he's saying that I'm seeding the this land which is worth this amount. And by the way, the land is not worth anything close to that amount, but we'll see what the money's about. And bury your dead. So this is odd, because Ephron just said, I'm not taking the money. Avram obeys Ephron, and what does he do? He then weighs out the money that Ephron had said, which means Ephron mentioned a number that he wasn't going to charge Avram. Avram weighs out that he listens to Ephron, meaning for the number. And he weighs out that amount of money, and he gives it to, to Ephron. 400 shekel of silver, which is good anywhere. Over socher means that any merchant will take it. It's it's good good coins. What is happening here? So... Uh, it, it seems that we have to come back to the original piece of Gerat Toshava Anochimachem. That Avraham's statement, which is true, is that I'm an outsider. I'm not part of the tribe. And as somebody who's not part of the tribe, I don't really have rights to land. And therefore, if they really like me, they can give me, they can lend me, they can even cede to me a piece of land, but it will always be land given to an outsider, which means when things change, things might change. 
The leadership of the tribe changed. I'm suddenly not favored anymore. My descendants aren't favored, and it can be taken. But more critically, I won't really be a landowner. I'll be a visitor, a, a ger, never the toshav. Now, this would all still not explain the money. We're not for the fact that we have access to quite a number of legal contracts that were written in the time of the Avot. And in a dig that was done in the Iraqi town of Nuzi, we found documents from around the time of the Avot of an interesting nature. They are adult adoption documents in which an adult who is a member of an outside tribe or has left his tribe pays money to the tribe to have himself adopted into one of the families so that he can then be considered a member of the tribe and have the rights of a member of the tribe. Professor Yudel Itzur suggests that that's what's going on here, is that what Avram is really paying for, this tremendous amount, is not for the land itself, but it's for membership in the tribe. In other words, he's paying this large amount chiefly to be considered now a member of the Chitim. And we're going to see what the consequences of that are at the end of the shiur. And then some of the money, or perhaps none of the money, because the arrest was a gift, now is for the land, because the land is now his as a member of the tribe. No more ger, now toshav. And then we understand this humongous amount of money. And then the next pasuk is, Vayakum stay afron, asher b'machpeva, asher lifnim amrei, hasadev yamara asher bo, v'chol ha'etz asher b'asadeh, asher b'chol gvulo saviv. Now we're hearing what sounds like a contract. It says, okay, this field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, that's the name of the area, which is in front of Mamre, another, the plains of Mamre, the field, the cave, the trees that are there, that all go around the boundary. In other words, we're given like a demarcation. The Avraham Avraham now purchases it in the presence of Nechet, Bechol Ba'eshairo, and again in front of everybody. So there has been a public acceptance of Avraham as a member of the tribe. There has been a public acceptance of Avraham's purchase of land, and now it is forever known as Avraham's land. And then the coda is, This whole thing started with the death of Sarah. So at the end, this is what we call an inclusio, an envelope structure, where the last two psukim mirror the first two and come back to the issue of Sarah. This is the only place where Sarah's name again is mentioned in the beginning and the end. Right? And now, Hechevron, again, accentuates that by the time this is written by Moshe, the town is known as Hebron because of Avraham HaChaver, perhaps. And a repetition of that, again, like a final line in a contract, saying, and this now became the property of Avraham. Okay. One last note in looking at this somewhat complex parsha, uh, which hopefully we have um, sort of uh, clarified. If you take a look at the back, at the last page of the handout, you will see that I color-coded the, uh, no political implications here, I color-coded the story where the first two and last two psukim are shaded by green. That's the story of Sarah herself. She's mentioned by name, her death, her burial. And in the middle is the negotiations, Avraham in blue, Benechet in red, back and forth. And then, shaded in yellow, is the contract that describes what happens. Now you see the entire parsha in front of you. It explains something else that happens in the next parasha, which we will look at in the next year. And that is that Avraham summons his slave 
to go get a wife for Yitzchak. And famously, he begins it by saying, do not have Yitzchak marry a local girl. Rather, go back to my home in Haran and find somebody from there. And we're familiar with the negotiations, and we'll look at that in, in, in more detail in the next year. Why is he so concerned that Yitzchak not marry a local girl? After all, other members of the family did. Yehuda married a local girl, and we assume that the other, uh, other members of Yaakov's family married local girls. What's wrong with a local girl? So, although we might posit that all the Kananim are abominable, etc., which would then uh, make the, uh, the circumstance of Yehuda's life, etc., somewhat difficult, um, there's, I think, a simple explanation. Um, you know, there is a notion of being the other, being the outsider. And being the outsider clearly carries with it lots of, uh, lots of limitations and handicaps. You're not included in the club. You don't have a right to vote. You don't have a right to own land. You don't have a right to own a business. You can't go to university. We've all experienced this, or shall we say, our several generations ago certainly have uh, throughout most of European history and those who lived in the Arab world. We understand what it means. And yet, there is a distinct advantage to being an outsider in that cultural association, cultural loyalty, and ethnic connection is very strong. It's very strong if for no other reason than they won't let you in across the street. So you become very close with your group. You have to remember that Avraham has come to Canaan to be a blessing, to be different, to be part of the country and to have treaties with members of the country and to improve the country, but also to teach a lesson that flies in the face of what their norms are. A lesson about one God, a lesson about moral accountability to God and about free will, lots of important lessons. And and these are not lessons that the locals uh, have yet subscribed to. And so he's still on the mission. Now, when you're an outsider, the mission is somewhat easy. It's very challenging because you're an outsider. On the other hand, you never forget that you're on a mission. And there's no chance that your children or grandchildren are going to forget they're on a mission because nobody else will have anything to do with them. However, the minute that you are included and are connected, that's where the danger starts. And you think about it when Jews here in Los Angeles many, many years ago, found that they suddenly had enough money that they wanted to join a a country club, and the country club was restricted. That created a bond among them. Even if they didn't have a particular religious loyalty or even cultural affinity, they still felt unified by the rejection of the other. And then they started their own country club. The minute that they are allowed to come into the country club, the minute that Harvard and Yale drop their quotas, or lessen their quotas and allow Jews in, or whatever it might be, suddenly there's a danger of forgetting you're different and a danger of what we call assimilation. I'd like to posit that's what happens here. As long as Avraham was an outsider, didn't own land, kept moving from place to place, there was no question that he saw himself as different and his family would be seen as different. They might be beloved, they might be welcome, but they're different. The minute that he becomes a member of the local tribe, the danger of assimilation suddenly looms. And the way that that would happen most prominently would be by his son marrying a local girl. And now he's become a full Kanani and the mission's over. And so Avraham then says, the biggest oath is not to have him marry Kanani. Not who he should marry, but who shouldn't marry. Who he should not marry a local girl. 
because he marries a local girl, then that's it. Now he's part of local society, and we have lost our edge. We've lost our difference. We've lost our being an outlier, an outsider, and we've lost our message. And that's why Avraham's first concern is, again, not who he should marry, but that he should not marry a local girl. And we'll see you with that the next year. In the meantime, hopefully this gives us a better insight and understanding of the story of the purchase of, of, uh, of Merata Machpelah, uh, and uh, and of the story of and the, the significance of the death and burial of Sarah within that context. I wish you have a wonderful Shabbat, and Mirza Hashem, we will continue uh, in the next year with uh, the story of the, uh, as they call it, the wooing of Rebecca, the courting of Rivka. Shabbat Shalom.